You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. From the moment you start watching this episode of The Twilight Zone, you'll notice things look a bit different, things sound a bit different, things are different. The reason is that this episode of The Twilight Zone was recorded on videotape. Now, in all, there were six videotaped episodes of The Twilight Zone, and tonight's episode was the first to be broadcast. The network insisted on some cost-cutting as the Twilight Zone was quite an expensive show to produce, so filming on videotape in a single location, it lowered the cost of hiring equipment and stages and lots, and there was also the benefit of videotape being easier to handle than film. Film had to be developed and edited and scored, but editor Jim Brady could edit the taped scenes on the spot and avoid the costs of film development. Now at this point, as we watch, we've only got through a handful of episodes, but they had actually filmed 16. And Buck Houghton said, we were inching up to around $65,000 an episode, which at the time was frightening. And Mark Zickery does quite a, a big section on this in The Twilight Zone Companion. And he says, in an attempt to cut costs, the network suggested that six episodes be done on videotape rather than film. Tape was less expensive than film, and the editing costs were negligible, since most editing was done on the spot, switching from camera to camera, as in live TV. Ultimately, the shows would be transferred from tape to 16mm film for broadcast. If the experiment succeeded, more episodes would be done on tape, thus keeping costs under control. And he goes on to say, though, that although... It had this benefit of lower cost. Tape was still quite in its infancy, and there were limitations, like you couldn't film outside, so there was no exterior locations, and because it couldn't be edited as cleanly as film, there would be fewer different camera setups and fewer complex camera movements. Now, Rod Serling wasn't happy about this, but with the network being the network, he did agree to give it a try. And in the end, the producer, Buck Houghton, said, Actually, I enjoyed the experience on tape. It was like getting a new set of toys that were different than I'd used before. So there was an obvious saving, but as we know, the only thing you usually get for less is less. And this switch to videotape, it shows. I think it's more of a problem in some of the later videotaped episodes than it is for this one but it's still not how I prefer to see my Twilight Zone. But I will talk more about the impact that has later on. So I'm noting that with these Season 2 episodes that the opening scenes seem to be maybe running a bit longer than they used to, so we're having to dig into the story before that opening narration. Now this time round we get some quite uncomfortable, pleasurable moans from Mrs. Lauren as she sits getting a massage from her maid. Oh. 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 You're not chilly, are you, Jaina, dear? Shouldn't be. 
72 degrees in here. Isn't it, William? Isn't it 72 degrees? Exactly. The optimum temperature. Of course. The optimum temperature. And the fireplace. Designed for perfect heat radiation. The chairs. For maximum comfort. Oh. And the windows. For the most efficient light and proper ventilation. Oh, yes, and the ceilings for the most desirable acoustical qualities. Everything built to perfection, Father. Everything designed for a perfect life. Oh. Oh, please continue, Nelda. That's it. Oh. It's rather an unfortunate choice looking back at it now. This lady who at the time was filming would be about 53, sitting there making these almost orgasmic noises and it kind of opens the episode up to be poked fun at really now and they're going for atmosphere and this kind of kills it dead from the get-go. But it's not just the moans, it's how she's speaking as well, it's quite cringeworthy. But it's there and by the time our female lead, Jaina, tells her to stop, the rest of us are saying thank God. But sex noises aside, we got our basic setup. These people live in a house that's created to be the perfect living environment. The temperature is just right. The chairs are adjusted just right. It's supposed to be everything you could want in a home. But like Rocky Valentine in A Nice Place to Visit, one of the characters realises that sometimes having everything just right isn't what it's cracked up to be. Jaina lives with her parents, Dr. Lauren and Mrs. Lauren, and she is getting bored and frustrated. Her parents are getting on in years, and they're happy to spend their days being waited on hand and foot by their servants. But she's a young woman, and she wants to go out into the world. And I think they try and shock us with the reveal when Jaina pushes a servant down the stairs. We find out that they're actually robots. So let's dig a little deeper into this episode, The Lateness of the Hour. The residence of Dr. William Loren, which is in reality a menagerie for machines. We're about to discover that sometimes the product of man's talent and genius can walk amongst us untouched by the normal ravages of time. These are Dr. Loren's robots, built to functional as well as artistic perfection. But in a moment, Dr. William Loren, wife and daughter, will discover that perfection is relative that even robots have to be paid for. And very shortly, we'll be shown exactly what is the bill. First broadcast on the 2nd of December, 1960. Written by Rod Serling and directed by Jack Smythe. I've spoken in the past about how I like Rod Serling to do his opening narration as in the scene as possible. And it doesn't get any more in the scene than this. He's literally walking into shot just as the actors finish their scene. It is a necessity of the way it's shot, but unfortunately it doesn't show Rod Serling in his best light. He does seem to be looking downwards at times, maybe at his lines, I don't know. But, you know, he never claimed to be a performer and he's doing his best to adapt to the situation. 
Now the director Jack Smythe in terms of his overall career is quite usual for our Twilight Zone directors, you know. Worked in a lot of anthologies at the time and so on. What is kind of interesting though is that he directed four Twilight Zone episodes and his first one was season one's The Lonely, which is one of, if not the most expansive Twilight Zone in terms of its location. It's set in Death Valley and Death Valley posing as an asteroid and it really sells us on that sense of space. It's huge, you know, there's that great sense of this man being alone in this huge, huge expanse. Now, his other three Twilight Zones are this one, Night of the Meek and 22, which are the exact opposite. These are three of the six videotaped episodes, so they're smaller, more intimate. And Jack said to film in this one, he said, we actually rehearsed them like we were doing a live show. Then we'd go into the studio and block it and have a run through, a dress rehearsal, then actually tape it. But overall, he doesn't seem to think the story was that great. He said, I thought it had a good atmosphere to it. That's really what we were working on. I don't think the plot was that good, really. But when we were rehearsing it, we were working on atmosphere more than anything else. And I think we accomplished that. Now, in terms of trivia, there's really not much going on with this one. So we'll dig into the story. Suddenly, inexplicably, your mother and I find you're unhappy, you're rebellious. Do you think that pleases us, Jaina? I don't know. I explained to you a long time ago why I did what I did, why I retired from the world, why I built these people. Mm. What you've done to yourselves is an atrocity. But what you've done to me is even worse. You've turned me into a freak, an unsocial, unworldly, insulated freak. Shall I tell you what else I've done for you, Jaina? I've kept you from harm. I've protected you against disease. And insulation in this 20th century is no crime, it's a service. You've never had to look into the face of war or the face of poverty or prejudice. Well, you've been isolated, yes. But what you think of as imprisonment just happens to be asylum. And security, yes. And survival. So why has Dr. Lauren shut him and his family away from the world? Are they in some sort of dystopian alternate reality where it's chaos outside. Dr. Lawrence says it's the 21st century, so it's not the future. But in terms of technology, theirs is obviously more advanced than ours. He speaks about war and famine and disease, but he's not saying that the place is ravaged with those things. He's just saying they exist, so we don't really get a sense of what's going on outside. Jaina says she wants to go to a restaurant, so it can't be that bad. So we never really get a sense of the world that they live in. Is it a more advanced alternate reality? Or is Dr. Lauren just a brilliant man who has created robots for the betterment of his own life? We don't get those answers either, but overall, I guess you could say it doesn't make any difference to the story. So let's look at our couple, Dr. Lauren and Mrs. Lauren. Dr. Lauren is played by John Hoyt, and he would have been in his mid-50s when he filmed this one, and he lived up until his 80s. He was born in New York, but with his accent and his manner, I'd have mistaken him for a British kind of thespian. And I think he does have that gravity about him, that experience. His roles of note, well, we'll see him again in The Twilight Zone in 
Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up? He did three episodes of The Outer Limits, he did Star Trek as well, and I never pass up the opportunity to link someone to Planet of the Apes. And John played a character called Prefect Barlow in two episodes of the Planet of the Apes television show. And I like him in this, he does have a certain gravity about him, and he's a bit more restrained in his performance than his two co-stars, and I think that works much better in the videotaped show. The videotaped shows feel more intimate, so if you're overacting, it really shows and it really grates. And I think Hoyt seems to see this and keeps his performance in check, which also suits the role of this brilliant doctor who has shut himself away to a life of routine and relaxation. Now his wife, Mrs. Lauren, is played by Irene Tedrow, and her IMDb page describes her as a supporting player who never really got a meaty part, but had a six decade long career in those supporting roles. And you can really see that looking at her credits, there's lots of one-off performances with the occasional small recurring role. She died at the age of 87, but worked almost up until the end. Now we've already met Irene before, she played Mrs. Sloan, Martin Sloan's mother in the classic episode Walking Distance. I think she fares a little better in Walking Distance. I mean no disrespect, but half the time in this she's communicating through a series of moans or oohs or ahs, and it's not just when she's getting that massage, but later on the maid brings her a drink and she does a satisfied mmm. And then the maid brings her some pills and she's like, hmm. And when she speaks a lot of the time, she has this very sing-song style about her voice. And maybe it's how she was directed. I don't know. Who knows? But I think in the Twilight Zone, at least, let's remember her as Mrs. Sloan. Because unfortunately, this isn't her best work. Now, I won't spend too much time just recounting the beats of the story because it is very straightforward and for the most part it's just Jaina having a hissy fit about her situation and shouting at her parents. Jaina, they're, they're not just machines. Do you know how many thousands of hours I've spent in developing them and, and perfecting them? Do you realise how, how marvellously intricate they are? How scientifically precise? Not just arms and legs that move Jaina. They're creatures. They have minds and wills. They have memory tracks. Do you see? I've given each one of them a memory of his own, haven't I? Yes. And all of them can recount to you in detail everything that's happened to them since their early childhood. And they had no childhood. They were born just as you see them now, weren't they? Yes. Looking the way they do, acting the way they do, but each with his own talent. One of them was built as a cook. Another was built as a maid. The butler was manufactured as a butler. The handyman knows nothing but being a handyman. Jaina, you're not asking me to dismantle machines. You're asking me to destroy that which has life. So the Doctor touches upon one of the great discussions that science fiction has. 50s and 60s sci-fi was awash with robots both on TV and in radio shows and in books and films and some of the great sci-fi writers of the time would infuse their stories with this discussion about 
at what point does artificial life become just life? Obviously, it's not just unique to the 50s and 60s. You know, we'd see it in a lot of things, films like Blade Runner. We see it in Star Trek The Next Generation with the character of Data. So it's a still an ongoing thing. Now, the robots in this show have memory tracks and the Doctor has programmed into them false memories. So they remember their childhood even though they never had one. And the Doctor says they have thoughts and they have feelings, but do they have that spark that differentiates between just appearing to feel and actually feeling? Well, we'll come to that one a bit later on. Miss Jaina, you'll forgive me, but that was most intemperate of you. I consider that unforgivable behavior. Miss Jaina, you must have respect for your parents. I agree, you must show respect. Stop it! You're jokes. That's what you are. Hysterical jokes. With your sad little homilies and your mouth cliches. You're nothing but walking record players. That's all any of you are. Walking record players. Jaina, you're making it difficult for me to be patient. Very difficult indeed. I do apologize, Father. I know how accustomed to perfection you are. And I hate to throw a stone in that serene pool of yours, but you forgot something. Do you know that? You forgot something. They may be indestructible, Father, but you're not. So Jaina is played by Inga Stevens, and I've spoken about her before because she starred in the episode The Hitchhiker. She played Nan Adams. I do like Inga Stevens. I think she's a good actor. And unfortunately, she is one of the Twilight Zone's more tragic figures. She died far too young. I won't go as far as to say I think she's bad in this episode, but at times she is going very big. Maybe it's just the videotape that shows it up more because, like I said earlier, it seems to be more intimate, but unfortunately at times it feels like she's bordering on overacting. After her latest outburst, Jaina threatens to leave, so her father says he'll do as she asks and get rid of the robots, which he does. Something's not right. Something's not right. Something's not right. What is it? What is it? Why aren't any of my pictures in the photo albums? There are no pictures of me here at all. Jenna, dear, 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 there are many pictures of you. Why, why, see, here's a picture of you at Easter. And why, there are pictures of you decorating the Christmas tree last Not year. as a little girl, Mother. There are no pictures of me as a little girl. Pictures of you and Father and the robots. Always pictures of the robots, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but no pictures of me. Why? I want you to tell me why. So Jaina is a robot, and while I don't think it's the most unpredictable twist, I do think it's a decent one, and it's well pitched because she has been so against all the robots all the way through the episode, but now she's touching her face to try and feel what she really is, and it brings us back to that question, at what point does artificial life become life? You know, she certainly seems to feel these emotions, whereas the other robots are quite robotic in their manner, but Jaina is completely convincing as a human being. The show itself, though, just doesn't seem to dig really deeply into that question, which, which is fine because you're not going to answer that question in 20 minutes, but, but what I do think is perhaps even more impactful than the revelation that Jaina is a robot 
is what happens next. She doesn't adjust to finding out she's a robot very well, understandably. And her father decides that he's going to have to do something about this. But instead of adjusting her programming, he completely wipes her out and repurposes her as the maid so that they can still have her around. I do think it's quite impactful and it is quite chilling, I thought. Overall, I have to say I was quite surprised at how much I actually like this one. I don't think it's a great episode by any means, but I think going in, I was kind of dreading the videotaped shows. I did recall them slightly, but in this one, like I said earlier, it is less of an issue than some of the later ones which we will come to. This very stagey environment is reminiscent of something like early Doctor Who, now I'm not a huge Doctor Who fan, but I do dip into it occasionally, and in the classic era, they did seem like science fiction stage plays. And if you adjust to that and focus on the performances, then they are enjoyable. You know, it does help to have someone with a magnetic presence like a Tom Baker or a Patrick Troughton up on screen, and this episode doesn't quite have that, but it's watchable. But I have to say, I'm quite glad that there's only six Twilight Zone episodes like this. You know, it does detract from the show. We'd all prefer them to all be on film. As for the story itself, I do enjoy these meditations on artificial life and real life. There are a lot more effective explorations of this in other books and films and TV shows. This one is quite on the surface. It doesn't go too deeply and explore that question, but it's okay. Dr. Lauren, this great man who was just earlier speaking about how these weren't just robots but creatures, and how even though she's a robot she's still their daughter, he just wipes her out in a heartbeat. All of those memories just gone. And you have to ask, he keeps her around, but would you want someone you purport to love still around if they were just a shell like that? That's another question too, a big one. Maybe Dr. Lauren isn't quite as kind as he first seemed, or maybe it doesn't really matter because she is just a robot. Or maybe she was created too perfectly. We don't know whether she was created five years or five days ago, the handyman was happy to be a handyman. The maid was happy to be a maid because they were created to do those things. But Jaina was created as a daughter. Daughters rebel. Daughters want to find their own path in life. She was just doing what every other daughter does. But sadly for Jaina, her path led to the Twilight Zone. Let this be the postscript. Should you be worn out by the rigors of competing in a very competitive world, if you're distraught from having to share your existence with the noises and neuroses of the 20th century, if you crave serenity but want it full time and with no strings attached, get yourself a workroom in the basement and then drop a note to Dr. and Mrs. William Loren. They're a childless couple who've made comfort a life's work. And maybe there are a few do-it-yourself pamphlets still available in the Twilight Zone. Let's check out some listener feedback in Submitted for your approval.
Hi, Tom. This is Jay Shelton. Found the podcast about, I don't know, three, four months ago, three months ago, and was able to catch up pretty quickly. Already reached the end of the line. Anyway, I just watched the lateness of the hour. Um, one of the episodes I haven't seen that much. I'd seen it once before. But uh, my memory was strong with this one because if you'll notice the look of this one, everything is, it's videotape. I think this is the first time when one has been obviously made on videotape. Uh, when uh, Angus Stevens lights the match, we see that um, kind of weird glow that you got off fire and, and videotape. I wonder if you know why they switched from film for this episode, or did I just not notice earlier ones? Anyway, thanks for covering Twilight Zone. It's been interesting. I don't know what I'm going to do now that it's slowed down so much. I was listening to them on a fairly regular basis, and now I'm kind of ahead of you. Well, not kind of, I am. Uh, I also grew up in Binghamton, New York, uh, like Rod Sterling, well, at least from fourth grade on in that area. So I, I think I got a little bit of a sensibilities there. Um, started watching this show in the early 70s. I was born in 62, but got played all the time in uh, New York State, uh, WPIX. I imagine that was the case everywhere. Anyway, I've rambled enough. Uh, thanks for doing the show, like I said, and I'll talk to you later. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. Goodbye. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate you taking the time to send some feedback in, and I hope that I have answered your question about the videotape issue. It's quite a short episode, this one. I think with the lack of trivia and the fact that it's quite a straight-ahead story, there's not much in the way of turns in it, it's kind of just a bit of a short one, but that's fine. That's the way it goes sometimes. Now, Jay says he was a resident of Binghamton, New York. It's uh, it's funny. Us Brits, when you say New York to us, we just think Manhattan. We think, you know, Times Square, 42nd Street, Statue of Liberty. I actually spent a lot of time in New York when I was younger. I lived there for a while, and I have great memories of it because I lived in a small town too. You know, Brits don't often realize how big new york state is and it's not just the city so i've got great fond memories of small town new york so thanks for sharing yours as well jay and uh you know i hope we do hear from you again so next time on the show we'll be talking about an episode called trouble with templeton but you may just get a short bonus episode if you remember i reviewed twilight zone the game a few shows back and I'm reading a Twilight Zone book at the moment. I won't say what it is, but it's something that I'll probably do one of those quick off-the-cuff audio reviews on. But I'm trying to actually get hold of the author to interview him about the book because it's uh, quite controversial in some ways. Um, but I contacted him about a week ago and I've not heard anything, so unfortunately that might not happen. But we'll see, we'll see. The next episode might be that short review or the trouble with Templeton. We'll see how how the uh, time goes. So, thanks for listening, and I will speak to you next time in the Twilight Zone. Good night. <laughs>